Father, here we are on our knees just asking that you would do something special in our hearts. Lord, we know that there is power in your word. We know that you've promised us the Holy Spirit. So God, we just want to open our hearts and invite you to speak. In the silence of our own hearts just now, we want to give you that opportunity to speak to our hearts today. Thank you, Father. Give us ears to hear. May it be your voice that speaks. May Jesus be lifted up. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. As the two walked along, it was really hot. They were on this long uphill journey. It was a 75-mile journey. It was going to take them about three days. And it was okay because they had a lot to talk about. As they were walking along, they were discussing various things. But specifically, one matter had grabbed their attention. Do you think it's true, one said to the other? The other said, well, I don't know. It sounds pretty amazing. Do you really think that that could be possible? Back and forth they went talking about a specific person and, and were the, the, the rumors that they had heard true? That was this long trek along this valley uh, from a, a very low point on planet Earth, actually the lowest point on the planet, all uphill. And so you imagine that they're toiling in the hot day, but their minds are constantly turning, trying to understand who this man is. Last week, Pastor Huerta told us about Philippians chapter 2 and something that his church did just to implement some of the things that are talked about in Philippians chapter 2. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Philippians chapter 2, a little letter that Paul wrote to the Philippians. He actually wrote it from prison. Here he is writing from a place where most people wouldn't uh, think of writing such an encouraging letter, but it's filled with encouragement. In Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, he talked about these last week. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit. Wow, if we just stop right there, that would change our world in incredible ways, wouldn't it? Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others as better than himself. Did you see how Pastor Huerta practically worked that out with his church? Hey, Let's take what gift you have and let's offer it to the community. If you can cut hair, then let's do free haircuts. If you can change oil, then let's offer free oil changes. Whatever you can do, use that to watch out for other people. Like verse 4 goes on to say, Let each, other, let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. Now, for some reason, it always happens to me when I'm in the grocery store. That's probably because that's one of the few places that I, I go to shop during the week. And I, I, I mingle with a lot of people in there walking through Trader Joe's or a grocery store. As I'm walking through and seeing, a lot of times I'm focused on getting whatever I need to get and putting it in my basket. But just this past week, as I was walking along, I suddenly looked up and I looked around and I saw there's, hundreds of, there's at least 100 people in the store all busy and frantic trying to grab their groceries. And I am so intent on my needs and what is going on with me that I basically am not even noticing that there's another human being around me. How much of our lives do we spend like that? How much of my life am I just totally immersed in my needs, my wants, what I need to get done, and totally forgetting about the needs and wants of people around us? But Paul doesn't just give us this lofty ideal, say, hey, You guys need to be unselfish. Now go try to do that. 
But he goes ahead and he tells us, like Pastor Huerta pointed out, to let this mind, this attitude be in you. Like he talked about the airplane, how it has the attitude. He said, let this attitude be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And then Paul goes on to describe this incredible step-by-step journey that Jesus took. And going from the throne of glory, from being God on his throne, to stepping down into human flesh. But not even stopping there, but, but going down to the place of being a servant. Being one who said, foxes have holes, but I don't have a place to lay my head. I'm, I'm homeless. I have nothing. I'm, I'm here that, that when people said, asked him a question about money, he said, does anybody have a Nereus? Could somebody give me? He, he was so poor that he had nothing. He was obedient, then it goes on to say, to the point of death even the death of the cross. Obedient to what? To that master plan that he and the Father had worked out from all eternity past that they loved you. Yes, you who are sitting here at Templeton Hills, Seventh-day Adventist Church this morning, they loved you more than themselves. They're more interested in the fact that you are here on planet Earth struggling and toiling with sickness and pain. They knew that you would be living down in 2018 and all you'd be going through, and they said, We've got to do something to save them. They're in a mess. They're in a world of hurt. What can we do to get them out of that world of hurt? But look at how it goes on. I don't remember, actually, and we should do a better job, right, of remembering what verses are talked about in the sermon. I don't remember if he got this far in the chapter, but this is so fascinating where it goes from here. In verse 9, it says this, Therefore, Because of this step-by-step going down that Jesus has done, therefore, because he has humbled himself, because he looked out for others' interests above his own, because he had this mind, therefore, God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name. God has given him this special name. He's exalted him above every, and he's given him a name. Now, I am recently learning that a name is a rather important thing. I didn't ever have the responsibility before of naming somebody. But now I have the responsibility with my wife of naming two individuals. And she might be kind of surprised, but I'm actually going to tell you today what we're going to name our babies. I didn't tell her about this beforehand, so she's going to be pretty shocked because she doesn't think that we've agreed on what to name our babies. But the name above all names was given to Jesus. And there's power in that name. So much so that we talked about three or four weeks ago when we talked about baptism, we talked about how the word to baptize means to pickle or to immerse to be saturated in the very character of who God is. That's what the name represents. And Jesus specifically tells his disciples, go and baptize all nations, teaching them all things that I have commanded you, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Jesus wanted us to value his character in a special and powerful way. So you guys ready for it? I know you're probably wondering, what's the name? So 
they've been telling us that it's baby A and baby B. And what we're going to do is we're going to name them both with the same name. They're both going to have the name Paige. I know it's shocking, and I know that Leah was afraid of what I was just about to say, but they're both going to have the name Paige. And that comes with a lot of responsibility because when these two little girls walk around, people are going to be saying, those are the Paige girls. And I hope you'll cut them some slack because Pages are human beings. Pastors' kids are human beings. But they're going to be walking around representing the family Page. You and I have a high calling in our lives. You know that when the Ten Commandments say, do not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, it is talking about cursing. And it's important that we reverence the words of God's name. But more importantly than that, is what God's name represents. When you say, I'm a Christian, when you say, I'm a Seventh-day Adventist, when you say, I'm a follower of Jesus... You are representing, you're taking on a name that represents something. I remember when I was a kid and I'd get up in the morning, get ready for school, and before heading off to school, when I finally had my license, I think is when my dad started to get more worried about it, before I'd get in the car, before he'd even give me instructions about how to drive to school, he would say, okay, hold the page name high today. What does that mean? Hold the page name high. He meant, don't make a fool out of our family today. Don't act in such a way that when the report comes back to us that we're embarrassed for how you acted today. How is it with me in my life as a Christian? When people look around and they wonder what Jesus is like, do they see in me his character? When they say, what is it like to be a Seventh-day Adventist? So you worship on the seventh day? So you like to eat healthfully? Do they recognize that this is a good thing, that this makes my life better, and that it makes me care more about their lives, that I'm more intentional about helping them, that I want to do whatever I can to make their lives better? Does my being a Seventh-day Adventist make other people's lives better? We have a representation. We are to represent a high calling. We are to represent the name of Jesus. But here's the good thing. Before we have to go to the place of thinking about what that does in us, we first need to know what it does for us. Does that make sense? Before we think about, well, how do I represent this name? How do I represent who God is? We first need to know what does that name do for us? Turn with me to Proverbs chapter 18 and verse 10. Proverbs chapter 18 and verse 10 is this beautiful promise that I want you to cling to this week. And not just this week, but any time that you're going through something, any time that you're wondering how to keep on going, whatever you're facing in your life, this is a powerful promise. And so I want you guys just to repeat it with me. It's up there on the screen. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run to it and are safe. I didn't hear everybody. Some of you aren't with us yet, right? So let's try it again. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run to it and are safe. What does this mean? I mean, what does it mean that that it's a strong tower, that the righteous can actually run to it and that they'll be safe when they run to this name of God? What does it mean in Acts chapter 4 when it says there is no other name given 
among men by which we must be saved. Why is the name of Jesus of so much value in our lives? It's because of what it represents. Just look at what Jesus says about what he came and he did in John chapter 17 and verse 6. John chapter 17 and verse 6, Jesus praying that high priestly prayer mentions specifically what he has done in manifesting the name of God. In verse 6, it says, I have manifested your name to the men whom you have given me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me, and they have kept your word. I've manifested their name. I've, I've represented what your name is like, God. People, when they want to know what God is like, now all they need to do is look at the life that was lived for three and a half years, for 33 years as I walked among men. Verse 26, he goes on to say it again. And I have declared to them your name and will declare it that the love with which you loved me may be in them and I in them. He says, I have declared this name to them. And I'll continue to declare it. I'll continue to represent who you are and what you've done for them. I'll show them that this is what God is like. They think that God is this God who needs to be satisfied by sacrifices. This God who needs me to do certain steps before he'll accept me. And I'm here to demonstrate that while they were yet sinners, I came to die for them. That while they were yet enemies, I came so that they could be reconciled. Like Ron talked about a few weeks ago, that I became sin so that they might become the righteousness of God in me. I came to demonstrate, to manifest that that is the character of God. That is who He is. And it changes absolutely everything. The name of the Lord. Did you memorize it? Let's see if you, if you memorize it. Just repeating it twice. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous runs to it and is safe, are safe. Thank you. You memorized it better than I did. God wants for us to experience the power of his name. Just go back to John chapter 14 and verse 26. John chapter 14 and verse 26. Jesus, talking to his disciples, says this, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my what? In my name. He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. Do you want to be filled with the Holy Spirit? We've been praying for that. We've been reading the book. If you haven't got a chance to read it, Steps to Personal Revival. Many of you have come to me telling me what a difference it's making in your life to pray daily for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. It transforms our lives. But specifically, Jesus says here, we're going to send, I'm going to send the Helper, the Holy Spirit, And the Father will send him in my name. This is crucial when it comes to praying for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. If my purpose, if my direction in life, if if I don't surrender down my will and my way and say, I want to go ahead and keep on doing what I'm doing, rather than loving God and loving people, rather than the purpose of God and his name, and I'm asking for the Holy Spirit to come, and I can use the Holy Spirit for my purposes and my way, it's just not going to happen. The Holy Spirit isn't going to come and force me to change if I'm unwilling. But if I'm willing to be made willing, if I say, God, you are so beautiful, you are so wonderful, look at all that you've done for me, 
I just want to run to the fact of who you are and how much you love me. And I want to say, God, I want that for my life too. Then he will fill us with the Holy Spirit. Jesus says some amazing things that we don't have time to to go in depth into, but he talks about to the disciples. He says to them, you haven't even prayed in my name yet in John 16 and verse 24. He says, so begin to ask in my name so that the Father can give you whatever you ask for and that your joy may be made full. Begin to recognize that there's power in my name. So in the book of Acts, we found in Acts chapter 4 a few weeks ago that the disciples were saying, hey, it's by the name of Jesus that this man who was born lame is able to walk. It's by the name of Jesus, it's by his character that he is a loving God who gives and gives and gives. James chapter 117 says that every good and perfect gift is from the Father of lights with whom there is no shifting shadow. No variation. He's always giving, always doing us good. This is who he is, and he cannot change. Do we want that same name in our lives? Do we want, as Jeremiah says, to be called by the Lord, our righteousness? Do we want to take that name on ourselves? Do we want to be born again so that we can have the name of Jesus? I long for that in my life. I long to represent Jesus. But it's easy to think about when things are going good in our lives. But for these two men who were walking up this valley, who were thinking about who Jesus was, things weren't going so well for them. In fact, I'm going to put up a picture of one of Herod's fortresses, uh, Mesachera. It's a, a, a big mountain there on the screen. And in this fortress, you can't actually see a fortress there anymore, but this is on the other side of the Dead Sea. It's on the eastern side of the Dead Sea. You see this huge mountain. Herod the Great had built about, I think it was 10 of these fortresses on top of mountains and other places so that he could hide in different places. Well, this is where Herod Antipas was, and this is where he took John the Baptist and put him in prison. John the Baptist who'd come preaching this message of making the pathways of the Messiah straight. John the Baptist who'd come to Herod and said, look, the Messiah's coming and you have your brother's wife. You are disrupting family relationships. You're not treating your brother with love. You're you're not being faithful to the marriage covenant that your brother had. And because he was standing up for that relationship, because he was standing up for the love that Jesus wants, because he was standing for Jesus' name, Herod threw him into a a dungeon in that fortress up on that mountain is where we believe he was. Can you imagine, for six months as he's there languishing in prison, day in and day out, wondering, okay, so I remember the Holy Spirit came down like a dove on Jesus. And And I remember the Holy Spirit told me to say, this is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, but why isn't he doing something? Why is he leaving me here? Why is my life still going down this path? Why am I a captive in prison? Can you imagine the thoughts that must have gone through his mind, especially when his disciples come to him in Luke chapter 7. Go with me to Luke chapter 7. Luke chapter 7 first tells us about Jesus healing the widow 
of Nain's son. As they're coming out, there's this funeral train and Jesus simply can't pass by a life where somebody's hurting and make their lives better. He sees this widow in her tears and he raises her son and changes that funeral party into a real party. But in Luke chapter in well that's Mark Matthew Mark Luke chapter 7 Jesus the the disciples of John take this message about Jesus raising the dead in verse 18 to John then the disciples of John reported to him concerning all these things can you imagine him sitting there in prison he's been there for 6 months and here he hears that while Jesus has neglected to come and save him from out of prison, that Jesus has been raising people from the dead is the rumor that the disciples are hearing. That he's been healing the sick. That he's been massive crowds are flocking to him. Well, that's great, Jesus. How about you tell those crowds to come and save John the Baptist? I believe John the Baptist still was clinging to his faith. But his disciples are coming to him in prison and saying, what's going on? Why isn't the Messiah breaking the yoke of the Romans? Why isn't he fulfilling what we thought he was going to do? And they come to John, and John, rather than answering their questions, simply tells them to go and ask their question to Jesus. In verse 19, and John, calling two of his disciples to him, sent them to Jesus, saying, are you the coming one, or do we look for another? You see, the, the name of of the Lord is a strong tower and the righteous runs into it and they're safe. But there comes times in our life, in our experience, when things get tough and we begin to doubt who Jesus is. We begin to question whether he's really as good as he said he is. We begin to question, does he really love me that much? We begin to question, yeah, it says all those amazing promises in the Bible, but does he really mean me? Does he really want to save me? I'm too bad. I've made too many mistakes. Maybe even you've been having thoughts in your life which are becoming more and more common that you just should end it all. Friends, I want to tell you that there is hope in Jesus. If you've been having thoughts like that, look to Jesus. Look to the hope that He can give you and talk to somebody who can encourage you because you are valuable. So valuable that the God of the universe valued you more than his own life. That he came and became a human being and laid down his life on the cross, going through hell for you so that you could have an abundant life. That's how much he loves you. So he sends this question, and that that was a 75-mile journey. It would have taken them three days to get up the Jordan Valley, past the Dead Sea, up the Jordan Valley, finally to get up to Galilee to where Jesus was and the crowds were. And they walk up to Jesus in verse 21. And that very hour, he cured men of infirmities, afflictions. and Well, sorry, verse 20, they they ask the question, "John John the Baptist has sent us to you saying, are you the coming one or do we look for another? How does Jesus respond to this? How does he answer this doubt? What does he go on to do? Verse 21, in that very hour, he cured many of infirmities, afflictions, and evil spirits. And to many blind, he gave sight. Jesus, in that moment, when this question comes, are you, are you the one? Are, are you the one that we should expect? There are people coming to him. They're flocking to him. There's, there's that person who's been blind maybe their entire life. There's that person who's being carried by friends to him. There's that person that's under oppression from the devil who is demon-possessed. And Jesus 
doesn't answer their question right away, but he begins just to, to heal this person and to set that person free from the demons and to, to teach these others and begins to minister to people and to bless their lives and to do good to the people around him. There's just this stream of love that's flowing out of Jesus, making everyone's life better around him. And then he finally turns to the disciples as they've been witnessing this. They're no longer just hearing about it, but now they're actually seeing these miracles happening before their very eyes. And then he goes on to say this, verse 22, Jesus answered and said to them, Go and tell John the things you have seen and heard, that the blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, the poor have the gospel preached to them. I'm going to those in need. I'm coming close to those who are down and out. I'm ministering to those who have no help. I'm impacting their lives. And verse 23, and blessed is he who is not offended because of me. John the Baptist needed to hear from his own disciples that this was true. And John the Baptist's disciples needed to come and experience for themselves that Jesus actually was doing these things. And it was as they personally witnessed what Jesus was up to that faith began to raise in their heart. But not only that, as they went back and they told this to John the Baptist, he must have immediately thought of Isaiah 35 and Isaiah 61, which Jesus was quoting from these exact words and saying, hey, I'm going to heal the blind. I'm going to heal the lepers. I'm going to, to minister to people in a way that changes lives. John the Baptist had to remember that this is what his kingdom is all about. This is what the Messiah was supposed to come to do. Isaiah 61 was a well-known messianic prophecy. Desire of Ages, page 217, talking about this moment where Jesus really here is showing his divinity. He's manifesting the name of the Father. It says this, The evidence of his divinity was seen in its adaptation to the needs of suffering humanity. His glory was shown in his condescension to our lowest state. He answers John the Baptist this deep theological question by simply going and helping people in need. And as we represent the name of Jesus, this should be our starting place. This should be how we impact the world. This has to be what we do first, just like Pastor Huerta talked to us about. Whatever we can do, we minister to the people around us. And it may not feel like it's making a difference. It may not be the big show that people are looking for, the big sign from heaven that the rabbis were looking for from Jesus. It wasn't throwing out the Romans like they were expecting, but it was impacting person by person by person. Lives were being changed and they were being opened to hear the teaching that Jesus had to share with them, to learn what his law was really like and to embrace a life of faithfulness in following after Jesus. When we come to recognize the name of Jesus, when we come to recognize that the name of the Lord is a strong tower, that the righteous can run into it and be safe, that it surrounds us like a tower, that that as as we recognize his love for us, his righteousness in our lives, his, his faithful love towards us, that we have nothing to fear in our lives, that we can stand through any storm It changes everything we might go through. I don't know what you're facing today. Maybe it's 
a situation with a child and you're wondering how to handle this situation. You're wondering if God really cares. You're wondering how you can possibly share Jesus with them in an effective way. Friends, Jesus and his name will show you the way. In the name of Jesus, he will lead you by the power of the Holy Spirit to impact their lives. Maybe you're wondering today, well, hey, I have this financial struggle and, and I know that we're, God tells us to return a faithful tenth of our income. And on top of that, to return uh, offerings. And, and I just don't see how that's possible. I'm not even making ends meet. Well, here's the deal, God. I'm just going to make sure that, that things add up on my budget. And when things add up on my budget and I can add in the 10%, then we'll go ahead and make sure that we give you what you've asked for. But friends, the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous runs into it and are saved. When we trust in his faithful saving love in our lives, we'll begin to realize that whatever he asks us to do is only for our benefit. When we step up and we say, okay, God, I'm going to do this because you told me to, he promises in Malachi chapter 3, I will open the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing. As a pastor, if I didn't tell you that, I would be failing you. If I told you, it's okay, you know, just wait for, to, to be faithful to what he's asked you to do until it's convenient. I would be robbing you of a blessing because he promises when you're faithful with your finances that he will pour out a blessing on you. Or what about when you're thinking about, man, my time, I just don't have enough time. We're talking about loving people and I know that my neighbor needs me to come mow their lawn. I know that their wife is dying of cancer and they need me to bake them some food but I just don't have enough time. But when we do, as Jesus has called us to do, asking for the Holy Spirit to lead us, He will multiply our time. He will provide for us. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous runs to it and is safe. So there's a guy by the name of Daryl Patterson. There still is a guy by the name of Daryl Patterson. Daryl Patterson had a problem. Daryl Patterson worked for Walgreens, and in working for Walgreens, he was promoted to a, a level with their call centers, and he worked for their pharmacy. And working for their pharmacy, he would eventually was in the position where he was training call representatives. And he had made it very clear at the beginning, hey, I can't do this on Sabbath. From sunset Friday until sunset Saturday, this, this is time for Jesus. This is not my time to work. And so they had worked with him. They'd swapped schedules. He said, I'll work any other time during the week. I'll do whatever it takes in order to make sure that I am able to fulfill the work requirements. However, this time period, I'm going to set it aside for Jesus. Well, one day, things happened with Walgreens that they had to shut down one call center and had to have another one in Orlando open up. And so he was needed to train people. And they told him, you're going to come in this Saturday. He said, no, you know, I don't come in on Saturdays. And he ended up calling and trying to get people to come and, and replace him. And he wasn't able to get that. Friends, the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run to it and are safe. It may not look like it at first. For John the Baptist in prison, it didn't feel like it at first. In fact, he was in prison for another six months and eventually was beheaded. And up until now, he hasn't seen the reward of these promises. 
And for Daryl Patterson, as he stood for his commitment, he said, okay, I'm not going into work. He didn't show up to work. And they terminated him. And this is a violation of his constitutional right. And so lawyers were helping him to battle this. They went to the, the, uh, the courts and then they went on to the U.S. Appeals Court. And just, re- just this week, they're saying that this is actually going to become likely a Supreme Court case. The first on Sabbath observance since the 1980s. Because he said, I'm going to stand for the right, though the heavens fall. No matter what, what gives a person the capacity to be able to stand for the right in that moment, even though they feel like they're risking losing everything, even though they feel like they're not going to be able to go on? In that moment, friends, it's knowing that Jesus loves you more than his own life. It's knowing that his love is faithful. In the book, Thoughts from the Mount of Blessings, it says this, Know and believe the love that God has to us. And you are secure. If you just know and believe that Jesus loves you this morning. If you just know and believe that God cares more about your life than you care. If you just know and believe that, then you can be secure. You can be faithful. You can walk with Him in faithfulness. goes on to say, That love is a fortress impregnable to all the delusions and assaults of Satan. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous runs to it and is safe. And friends, there's coming a day that Paul, from a dungeon writing to the Philippians, knew full well was coming. In Philippians chapter 2, he goes on to describe it. We stopped where he said that he gave to Jesus a name that is above every other name. But I want you to picture the scene that he pictures next. In verse 9, it said, Therefore God also has highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name. And then verse 10, That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. And at first we're thinking, okay, this is great. This is in heaven. This is some, some point when finally all creatures are faithful to God. But it goes on to say this. Of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth, representing Sheol, the grave, hell, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Can you imagine that moment? Revelation 20 pictures it where all of creation is there before God's white throne. Every human being who ever lived. Can you imagine? I mean, there's 7 billion people here right now. In this church, there's 150 or more, 100 of us here. Each and every one of you will be there that day. Each and every one of us will be there before the throne of God. And on that day, it is guaranteed that every creature, every person throughout creation, every one of the seven billion people on the planet today, everyone who has died and everyone who will be born up until that point, as well as all of the angels, but not just the loyal angels, but all of the demons, the ones who have taunted and tempted you throughout your life, the ones who have tried to plant the lies about God's name in your mind. Every single one will bow the knee and say, Jesus is Lord. 
What an amazing moment. Everybody's headed towards that moment. Your neighbor who doesn't believe in God, at one point will come to see how good God is. Do you know what this name above every other name means? Jesus? It's the Old Testament name Joshua, which means Yahweh saves. In that moment, all of creation, those who are lost and those who are saved, are going to look up to Jesus and say, Jesus is Lord. The one who saves is Lord. He is good. And for some of us, hopefully all of us, in that moment, we'll be so glad that we accepted his invitation. There is no reason that you need to walk out of here without having accepted that invitation. If you haven't, please, in this moment, say, Jesus, I accept you. Save me today. Transform my life. I want for your character to become my character. But there's also going to be billions of people there that day. I don't know how many. And all of the third of the angels that fell, who will be bowing the knee and they'll have this awful agony in their heart as they look up to this beautiful person, this one who gave his life so that they could have the opportunity to have life. And as they look up to him, they'll say, Jesus is Lord. And I missed it. Jesus is a Savior. He wanted to save me. He wanted me to be there. And I hardened my heart. I turned away. I didn't trust that he would take care of me. I didn't believe that that his law was helpful for my life, that he just wanted to bless my life. And I turned away from Jesus. Friends, don't be on that side come that day. There's no reason. Jesus has given his life so that you can have eternal life. Believe in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Not just believing the words Jesus Christ, but believing that the God of the universe loves you, that he gave his life for you, that all of his laws are for your good, that every good and perfect gift comes from him. Believe and know the love of Jesus and you are saved. I just want to give an invitation today, invite you to stand on this promise of who Jesus is. To say today, hey, I want on that day to be among those who are bowing the knee before Jesus as Lord because I've accepted that He really is my Savior. He's died for every person. Some will reject it and some will accept it. Actually, rather than stand, how about we just kneel as we pray and just ask that he make this a reality in our hearts, that we would fully grasp who he is. Father, we bow the knee before you, wanting to fully comprehend your love for us. And God, the enemy is so quick to plant doubts about our capability of receiving this gift. And I just pray right now for any person in this room who's doubting whether they're worthy of this gift, that you would immediately quench that doubt because our worthiness has nothing to do with what you want to give us. One day we'll say, worthy is the Lamb. And Father, there are some of us here today who may just be doubting that the life you've called us to is really the best life ever. That you really only want what's best for our lives. 
that in the end, even if it means that we spend months in a dungeon like the John the Baptist, that we can cling to the promises like Jesus gave to John the Baptist. And Father, help us to know the promises. Help us to look to your word, to give us light, to give us hope. Because the name of the Lord is a strong tower, and the righteous runs to it and are safe. Father, we trust in who you are this morning. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.